Yeah, he's got a very distinguished head. Prop, prop baby comic. So like my shit's definitely weird and strange, but I know how to do it for everybody. My dick's weird. Oh, here's a cheese board, but the people who are really into the fucking blue vein stinky shit are gonna have the blue vein stinky shit and they can get that off the cheese board. Everyone else can just have the nice middle of the road Gouda. Like what? Where, where did that come from? Like what happened in your day where you thought that was a good move? Pissing match with an asshole. So I was like almost murdered by stand up. Oh dude, half the thing is showing up. Hey guys, welcome back to In the Springs, episode number 71. I'm your host, Ryan Lowry. Thank you for giving us a listen. On today's show, I catch up with one of the premier stand-up comedians out of the Denver, Colorado scene, the very funny Sam Talent. This episode was recorded on October 29th at the legendary Looney's Comedy Corner right here in Colorado Springs, where Sam was just starting his headlining weekend run at the club. Without further ado, sit back and enjoy, because stand-up comedian Sam Talent is in the springs. Sounds great. Alright. Good can sounds. Good can tone. Good can tone. Alright, Sam Talent. We are doing this, man. I'm here. <laughs> Am I interrupting dinner? No. We're good. Sorry. Hey, everybody. <laughs> Getting a Ritz brand snack cracker. Buttery, right. flaky. Today's episode brought to you by Ritz. So, If they're paying us, I mean... That, that's I, it. Right I, there. The snack. I have half a sleeve of old Ritz crackers. They're really not taking care of your <laughs> podcast very well. <laughs> We're just getting things started, so hang in there, man. Pull your head out, Ritz. <laughs> well, Sam, I appreciate you being on the show, man. I've, uh, I've heard your name a ton out of, the, uh, out of the Denver comedy scene, and I don't think... You and I have had a chance to meet, so it's a, it's a pleasure to meet you. Yeah, it's lovely to meet you. I think I remember your dulcet tone, you know, <laughs> and your, uh, your kind of salt and pepper thing you're doing. There you go. Yeah, you got a very distinguished head. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't think we've met either. Lovely to meet you. Now, uh, how often do you get down here to the Springs? Oh, man, probably like twice a year. I mean, to Looney's in particular, twice a year, three times a year. This is the first time I've headlined. I think I co-headlined like a Christmas date once, but... Yeah, this is the first weekend I think I've headlined. I could be wrong, but I think it's the first weekend. Nice. Well, congratulations, yeah. man. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, I've been up here just, you know, been down here burying headliners left and right. Uh, <laughs> so they finally bumped me up. <clears throat> but great guys. I'm big fan of Easy e and Lauren. They've nice. always been really nice to me. Cool. Now tell me a little bit about your, your background as far as, like, uh, when you started doing comedy and... Uh, how you kind of got day one baby came out with uh, the fake cigar came out of my mom <laughs> with one of those Groucho Marx mustaches on and fake nose so you were a prop comic I was prop prop baby comic <laughs> first I couldn't talk but I could I could you know do the gabba gabba uh, no man I started doing comedy when I was like 18 been doing it really hard for about six years uh, love it on the road a lot glad to be home I had to be doing a club in my home state, you know? Gotcha. Yeah, stoked. Now, I know you're doing a lot of the um, kind of the alternative rooms up in Denver, you know, kind of the non-traditional comedy venues. So when, you, when you're on the road, is it the same kind of setup, or what is the, what's on the road mean for you at this point? Oh, man, I don't know. It's like uh, it's so hard to even use the term alternative comedy anymore because there's so much comedy going on. We're in such a big, vast, booming, blossoming uh State, you know, we were just stating when alternative comedy was used, it was just people wanted to do more comedy and they didn't, they couldn't get enough stage time in clubs, so they moved outside. You know, I think initially everyone was like, uh, "Oh, alternative comedy is based about not wanting to do the crowd for comedy club audience members," 
And I really don't give a shit. You know, whoever wants to show up to see my dumbass, like, I'm down to do the jokes for him, you know? So I think alternative comedy, I think we got to redefine it because it just meant, you know, people wanted more stage time. So, uh, yeah, I definitely do alt rooms. But if you go to Huntsville, Alabama, they don't have a club there. So the alt room is the biggest show in northern Alabama, you know what I mean? And yeah. it's like... Uh, uh, and it's great, you know? So, yeah, I do the alt rooms, but it's definitely not, like, because I don't like clubs. Like, I work clubs, too, but it's just there's a lot more... Uh, there's a lot more smaller markets that have, like, the one good monthly show or the one great weekly show, and you book your runs around doing the Hot Wednesday in, you know, Oxford and the Kick-Ass Monday in Atlanta and the Best Wednesday in Connecticut. So, yeah, I do a lot of both, but I do, I do, I do more stand-up not in comedy clubs than uh, stand-up, you know, then I'm sorry, vice versa. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So do you think the term alternative comedy, is that more relevant to the venue or the material? No, dude, both? I think I think it's a vestigial tale that needs to fall off. Yeah. It, there's just comedy. There, and there's comedy that happens in different... If you think of your comedy as like a painting, like if it's your art, you hang it in different galleries is all it is. Yeah. And different people will come appreciate it at different galleries. So I just think alternative comedy, like initially it meant like, you know, it was guys in shorts, like talking about their feelings. And like now that's like, if you go to LA, like that's just white guy comedy. Like there's all these, there's a lot of different scenes too, because there's so much comedy right now, you know? So yeah. like um, the whole alternative comedy thing, like I definitely do a lot of shows for like white people of my age that, you know, like listen to the same music and watch the same movies and TV shows as I do. Yeah. But then I also try as much as possible, and I think every comic should, to not do comedy for people that you would hang out with. You know? So, yeah. like, this last weekend, I was in Polk City, Iowa, Silver City, Iowa, Ames, Iowa, Des Moines. Ames and Des Moines, great shows. Great shows that could be anywhere in America. Like, they could have been in Portland, these shows. It was just cool people. Silver City and Polk City are fucking American Legion halls, and one of them was a 222 people that live in the city. You know what I mean? Like, right. So it's like these are people that I never, ever would hang out with or ever see because they ride John Deere lawnmowers for money. <laughs> right. You know, like they're, they're, they're fucking agrarians. So I think you got to do stand-up for everybody. Yeah. So like my shit's definitely weird and strange, but I know how to do it for everybody. Now, when you first started doing comedy outside of the Denver scene, what, what was that transition like for you? Did you really feel that you had to kind of cater your material to whoever you were in front of or, Hey, if you're coming to Sam talent, love him or hate him. This is what you're no, getting. No, because a lot of the shows I'm doing aren't like, Hey, you're coming to see Sam talent. You're going to see the best show that happens in your town. Yeah. Or, you know that this show happens every week and it's kick ass and you trust the guys who run it and they curate a good show. And you just happen to be the guy who's closing that show. Gotcha. So very rarely, like now when I go to certain, like I've been to places now four or five, six times over the last six years, and, you know, specifically over the last three years, I've really been hitting the road, certain markets a lot. Now people start coming and they're bringing their friends and that's cool. But, uh, yeah, no, people aren't, like, showing up necessarily to see me uh, ever, gotcha. I'd say. I'd say one out of one, maybe maybe two, uh, no, that'd be, that'd be one, that'd be 20%. One out of 10 shows, 10% of the time people are coming to see me. Yeah. For sure. And I think for the vast majority of comedy, that's the case. For the most part, people go to a comedy show. They don't necessarily Like the club go. tonight, no one's coming to Looney's to right. see me. They're going because this is the comedy club in town. They right. come here, they have fun. You know, this is the club they go to when they want to get wild with the boys or cut loose with the gals. So they're just coming to see a good time. Yeah, so I mean, you unless definitely, you're Kevin Hart or Bill Burr. Yeah, if you're Brian fucking Louie, you know, right, like people are going to see Louie. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so it's cool because then like initially when I was going on the road, I had like a half hour you'd have to do. 
you know, at any bar in North Dakota or wherever, you know, you had to, you had to learn how to do it for anybody. Yeah. For people who are real dumb or real mean or real drunk or real surly or just like really uncultured or like really they don't have the same imagination or like vision you do. And they have an idea of what stand up is, which is like white people and black people are different. Like what's up with bitches? You know, my dick's weird. Like they have this idea of what stand up's supposed to be. Yeah. And when I get up there and do my funny faces, and you know, talk about some of the strange things that I like to talk about up there. I think my stand-up now is actually a lot more middle of the road. It's not like middle of the road, like lame or watered down. But more like I think it works for everyone because just more accessible. It's stories that I'm doing a lot more stories, but they're still fucking weird. You know, it's still strange, uh, bizarre crap coming from my point of view, whatever it may be, however dumb it is. Yeah. So it's like it's it's. I think my stuff is gift wrapped in a way where people are like, oh yeah, he's doing stand up. But then people who are like into it are like, oh, this is fucking cool. This is weird. Like he's bizarre up there. So it's yeah. like it's easy to present, you know. And it's like, oh, here's a cheese board. But the people who are really into the fucking blue vein stinky shit <laughs> are gonna have the blue vein stinky shit, and they can get that <laughs> off the cheese board. Everyone else can just have the nice middle of the road gouda. Is that gonna be you your know? first album title? No, the man. Blue vein. Blue vein. Yeah, the blue vein stinky <laughs> shit. See, and it's a dick joke. It's perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> so now, kind of the affect you've got on stage, and and I hate this term, but it's sort of a comedy term. Your voice. No, please. I, it's all affected. It's all <laughs> fake. It's all contrived. Exactly. I mean, so how how did that come about for you? Was that a conscious decision on your part? Like, I want to be the quirky guy that. Not even quirky, man. It's just I think it's the way I communicate. Yeah. It's like there's a lot of outrage and like uh, and like you know a lot of like uh, what the fuck are we doing? You know, and there's a lot of sadness in my stuff. But that's not, you know, and I'm, but I'm still like an optimist about things. So it's not like I'm like dark or like heavy, but my fucking closer is a joke about my grandparents dying of Alzheimer's. It also happens to be a dick joke. You know what I mean? So it's like seven minutes. It's built on the fact that my two favorite people don't remember anyone they've ever loved's names. You know, I say this shit. It's like, you know, I talk about the fucking nursing room smelling like piss and held in tears. You know, like I talk about all this stuff that's like sad and it's real. But then there's just, like, wacky shit about it being a boner that, like, dug a ditch in the Tennessee Valley Authority. Like, you, I think you got to have both. Yeah. Because if I was doing too much of one or too much of the other, it would just be boring. It'd be like, oh, I know how to do this one thing, you know? And now I'm trying to move away and just try to do as much fucking goofballing and crowd work as I can because that's where the real fun stuff is. But it's hard in a club specifically because they have the idea of what stand-up is supposed to be. Yeah. So... I mean, when you say that that's fun, is it fun in the sense that it's more challenging for you personally? Or? It's just live. It's yeah. where the juice is. It's electric. <clears throat> it's kind of in the moment. In the moment, of. it's pure. Never been done before. The crowd can tell when you're riffing. It's so real to them. They love it because it's like, oh, no one's ever going to see that again. And I also know because I'm in the fucking trench right there, dodging grenades, fucking putting down enemy fire, fucking popping in mine when I can. It's great. Now, it's do you real. Do you prepare for that? Because I, when I did comedy years ago, I remember it was either advice I was given or some online article that I read is when you deal with a heckler, they're sort of go-to, hey, I don't come to your job and knock the dick That's out of you. That's hacky, though, man. But, but my point being is do you sort of prepare mentally for a contingency that might come up to have something at the ready, or are you truly in the moment? I'm truly in the moment, man. I really, yeah. I think that's why it's so much fun. Because when I started, I started doing improv, you know? So, like... Uh, improv teaches you how to just release yourself like you don't have control to release relinquish your control to the moment and to work in the moment and whatever comes next is real and to honor that and to treat it as the ultimate truth you know so when someone says something you can go to your like you know hacky line that'll work every time 
But if someone says something you, and you take a moment to be like, what? Like, what? Where, where did that come from? Like, what happened in your day where you thought that was a good move? You know, like, really go through it, you know? Yeah. There's a lot more meat and a lot more, and there's a lot more humanity. Because it's really easy to be like, ah, fuck you, you bitch. You know, I don't go to the right. bus station and knock the dicks out of your ass. And everyone's like, yeah, shots, right on. Yeah. But if some lady's, like, ruining everything and you're like, yo, like, do you need that much attention? Like, what's going on? Yeah. Like, you know, try and, like... And then you kind of humanize them, and then they kind of realize, like, oh, I'm blowing. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm fucking up the social contract. Like, what I'm doing right now is wrong. It's inappropriate. I apologize. When you can get them to get to that point, yeah. that's when the real meat of the thing is. And you're actually doing something. You're not just fucking giving the, the dogs the, the fucking meat they want. You know? You're not stooping to that level. And because then also you can... And then once you go to that level, and then if they don't shut up, then you're just in this fucking pissing match with an asshole... And you've already told, said the worst thing you can say, and if that doesn't shut them up, then it's just like, oh, shit. Now, I, I went nuclear immediately. Yeah. There's nowhere else to explore besides even further into that fucking awful raw vein. Yeah. If you start kind of nuanced and slow with it, then if shit does get heavy, then you can pull the fucking shoot and be like, shut the fuck up, you know, and then everyone's with you. Yeah. But if you can get, when, when you get the crowd to be like, if, here's my move for any new comics, if anyone's listening. Do the old, hey, we're having fun, right? Like, hey, every, everyone's having fun. And, you know, hopefully everyone's like, yeah, we're having fun. You know, if they don't, if they don't say you're having fun, you're fucked, you know. But you already, you're already fucked in that situation. And then if they're like, yeah, then be like, then see, like, then we should tell her to shut up. And then have everyone be like, so on three, let's tell her to shut up. Then let them tell her to shut the fuck up. Because they're going to be meaner. Yeah. That's going to be a lot more effective to have them, her shamed by a bunch of her peers. Because I'm still the person with the attributed status symbol of the microphone. You know, so it's yeah. not coming from an equal. It's coming from... So I'm, I'm coming off like an authority figure. I'm coming off like a stepdad type right. shit. Yeah. So yeah, I don't have those lines. I really like to honor whatever happens in the moment. So did you always have a level of comfort with doing crowd work or did that come with confidence and time and Well, improv experience? teaches you how to fail, you know? Like it teaches you to be okay with having no plan when you go on stage and failing in front of people. Like, that's what improv is, is, like, releasing yourself to failure and, like, whatever comes is, like, real, you know? And that's where it's good. Yeah. Like, the guy who's going for the joke in an improv scene, you fucking smell that shit coming from a mile away and you hate him. Yeah. Like, I but, hate him, you know? And not to interrupt you, but there's there's a practicality there as well, though. If you're not getting laughs... Sure. ...then you're not going to be a comic. And so no. how do you sort of balance that willingness to fail with... Mm -hmm. I'm also entertaining. It's a show. Well, yeah. So, no, I definitely came with... It came with time, man. Because like when I started doing stand-up, I thought you just had to do jokes. I thought people didn't want to see someone riff or goofball. I thought they came to a stand-up show. If you want to go to an improv show to see this, goofing. Yeah. Go to a sketch show if you want to see weird absurd shit. If you want to see stand-up, you want to see jokes. Yeah, set up punch. So set up, I brought yeah. fucking one-liner, Mitch Hedberg-style, fucking just pure you know, economy of words, just great jokes. And I yeah. did that for like the first 10 years. Or not first 10 years. First like, uh, first like 10 months, you know, first year pretty much. And then I was like, oh, I'm having more fun if I just, like, when I went off the rails and riffed and treated the crowd like a scene partner, I was having more fun, you know? And did that happen organically? Were there yeah. were moments that, that yeah. spark happened? Definitely. And you were like, I really enjoyed that mm -hmm. more than doing that. And you can tell that they were even having more fun in those moments. Not that my jokes are bad. Like, I don't, I don't think my jokes are as good as a lot of people's jokes. But I can also do and do this thing where it's like I, I am in the moment a lot and I'm good with it. Yeah. And again, like tonight at the at Looney's, who knows? Like I'm gonna open with a joke and we're gonna see where it goes. Yeah. Because they have the idea of what stand up is, you know. Yeah. The one thing about like the alternative rooms that we talked about earlier, like those people have a much wider idea of what stand up can be. Yeah. Which also nurtures garbage. 
Like there's a lot of small town like Lawrence, Kansas, or you know, like well, there's some people who are just doing stand up, and everyone's applauding them as like a fucking emo Phillips genius, and it's like, no, they're just like weird and affected, and it's not good. But you guys don't know what good is yet, you know. So definitely, I learned how to do it over a long period of time. Yeah, and I'm just kind of getting comfortable with it, you know. Like, just kind of getting to the point where it's like, okay, I don't need to go up with any kind of plan. And you've been at this, what, about 10? <clears throat> yeah, eight, like eight, six ten? years hard. Six years hard, okay. Six years hard. So I started 10 years ago. But okay. Like, you know how you, you dabble. Like, sure, you, sure. You fucking chase some skirt for a while. You lose yourself. You, yeah, so it's six years real hard. Well, and that was actually one of the questions I wanted to ask you. That transition from being, you know, kind of dabbling in it and doing it when you could to being a full-time comic, mm -hmm. how did that change anything if at all for you i guess maybe like from a work ethic perspective or i, I don't know that's kind of a lame question no, but i mean what was that transition question. like for you it, i was catalyzed by that's scary yeah it was scary uh i dropped out of school as soon as i could like pay rent from stand-up yeah so like i dropped out and everyone was pissed everyone uh, meaning my family and like my girl at the time like everyone thought it was a real dumb move because i had like 12 credits left you know like that's what i have 12 credits left and everyone thinks it was an asinine move. So, but I was catalyzed by, honestly, T.J. Miller, man. I saw T.J. Miller live. At, uh, there's these guys in Denver called the Grolics, and they yeah. used to be called uh, Los Comicos Super Hilarioso. Yeah, yeah, I had been on the show, actually. Yeah, so yeah. they did that show at the Orange Cat, which is now the match. But it was anyway, so they did this show, and it was like punk rock as hell. With Jim Hickox still. and Hickox was in there, Palm yeah. Hour Palm Hour. Yeah. yeah, so that was and Eric Anchor. Like, it was like those yep. six dudes. Yep. So this thing was rad, and they would have, like, fucking, you know, everyone on there. And I saw TJ Miller, and I was on the same show with TJ. And I was doing my kind of, like, I was riffing a little bit. And then he did his thing, and he came out and just riffed the fucking roof off that place. And it was, like, he was riffing bits and going into, like, you could tell he was, like, chunking stuff out while he was in the moment. And I was, like, holy shit. And then he was, like, yeah, dude, I, like... Like, he was like, I like your stuff. And I was, like, I like your stuff a lot. And he's, like, yeah, I'm just trying to do this thing where, like, every set I do is, like, a Grateful Dead show. Where, like people will be like trading tapes, like they'll never have the same set ever. Where it's yeah. like, oh, I saw him in '72. I got the the tape from Buffalo. Oh, I saw I got the tape from fucking Syracuse in '74. Yeah. So like that's where I'm at. Where it's like when people come to a show, they're going to get that sh only shine that show's ever been done. Right. But they'll be. I'll, I'll, I'll do, I do the same jokes, like not sure, the same sure. jokes, but like I'll close on the fucking. But the overall experience. The overall is experience be, is different, yeah. and what happens between the me walking on stage and the me getting off stage is always going to be different. Yeah. And that's why I can go back to the same market. So, like, I've been to Ames, Iowa fucking five times in 18 months. And it's because I'm always riffing new shit. And then when you get to the joke, you know, people will be like, oh, I haven't heard this one yet, you know? I don't know. So, yeah, I was definitely catalyzed in that way. Yeah. So now that experience you had with TJ, was that something that pushed you into making that full-time decision? That all tied in with that? Yeah. Gotcha. That was, all, that was the moment where I was like, if this guy and me are thinking the same way and, like, he has steam... He also told me the big move was he was like, if you take a night off, someone's getting better than you. Yeah. So this was like five years ago, and I didn't take a night off for like three years. Like, I went insane, like, ruined relationships, like, totally kind of lost myself. Like, I had a Black Swan, movie Black Swan. I don't know if you've seen that movie. I haven't, I haven't. Dude, like, when she, she like, ba like, ballet almost kills her. She's almost killed by her love of ballet, and that was me in stand-up, man. So I was, like, almost murdered by stand-up, because I love it so much, and yeah. I wanted to get so good at it. Well, and, and I mean, that has sort of a a tone of a competitiveness but who are you competing with oh everyone else and just myself. like tj said everybody else Every, anyone else is, anyone else is getting better than you yeah you can't have that you know i'm also super competitive i was a, i was a, i'm a super competitive human being 
uh, namely with myself. Yeah. And when I know I'm fucking up, it sucks, and I can't have it. You know. So like when I'm blowing it, and I know I'm blowing it, like I really get furious at myself. And luckily, I'm at the point. You know, it's like I can fucking do something about it. I'm not my own worst enemy anymore. But for a while, when I was like a kid, it was just like, you know, just fucking throw your hands up yeah. and get fucking blackout. So, well, I don't want to get too Mark Marin or anything, but how how is your family now with with what you're doing? Oh, they're the best. They love me. Yeah, I love them. They've always been there. They were super stoked when I found stand up. Like they were always happy about it. They've been on all the shows. They, I think they're going to come down tomorrow and see the shows. Nice. Yeah, they're the best. My dad's super funny. My mom's super dry and funny. My dad's like super silly. My mom's super dry and pessimistic. So it kind of makes sense, like for my stand up, you know. But yeah, they're the, they're the coolest man. I love them. So as far as moving forward at this point, what is, what's your future look like? What do you have? I mean, are you... TV st- credit. St- yeah, I was going to ask, are yeah. you strategic as far as this is what, what I want to mm, accomplish next? Next move. I just got bumped up at Comedy Works. Congratulations, club. by the way. Thank you. I haven't won that for a while. That is one of the premier clubs in the, in the United States, no doubt about it. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's got to be the number. Go Bananas, Punchline, Comedy Works... And then the Heliums were, were independent for a while. But as far as independent clubs are involved, like that, that that's the best. You yeah. Know? Um, so, yeah, no, I got to get a TV credit so I can ask for more money on the road. Because I love the road, but I want to be gone less and make more. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Now, being gone less, is that just sort of the grind of being away from home or? Yeah, it's being engaged. Like, I'm being, i about to get married. Congrats I love on that my, as well. Thank you. And I love my fiance. When I was a kid, I mean, even last year, I did six weeks in a row in October. I did the South, no nights off, six weeks, just fucking grinding it, you know, all booked by myself, yeah. driving the whole thing by myself. When I was a kid, though, man, like, I would be gone forever. Like, I'd never had to be home. So, I was in a band, you know. So, my work ethic on the road is great. I love it out there. And if you're going to come see me, I'm going to give you the fucking best show I can do every time, you know? But, yeah, I need to be... I want to be out a lot, but I need to be out less. And if I'm going to be out less, I'd like to make... I can't make less money. I have to make more money if I'm going to be out less. Right, right. So, that's, so in order to do that, I need a TV credit so I can be like, hey, this is what the industry standard is for someone who has this TV credit. Yeah. You know? Um, so, yeah, that and probably opening for bands. Probably, like, doing a couple tours... With some bands and stuff. Nice. Yeah. And then at this point, that that type of thing, you're the guy driving the bus on that. There's no manager. There's no agent. There's no booker for the most part. Well, I just in the last three weeks of like, I'm I'm with someone now. Uh, that yeah, there's a band called Dinosaur Junior. Yeah. So yeah. So they're the management of that band, and Modest Mouse. Yeah. 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 They they picked me up. So now I'm working with them. That's fantastic, yes. really cool. <laughs> you seem so like, uh, you know. I've been in this position a lot where it's like, oh, I'm with <laughs> someone cool. It. And it's, never, you know, but they're cool. They, we talk every day. Yeah, they're yeah. doing stuff. And fingers crossed I'm going to open up for Dinosaur Jr.'s 30th anniversary show in New York. Nice. Yeah, so that hopefully pans out. But, yeah. you know, we'll see. Excellent. Really, it seemed like really nice people. Yeah. You know, but until... There's fucking well, and, you until know, there's money in my account. We'll yeah. see what the fuck anyone's talking about, you know. And not to sound like your your dad or anything, but nothing ventured, nothing gained. So oh, dude, half the thing is showing up. <laughs> exactly. You know, I've showed up so much, and finally, <laughs> it's paying off a little bit. Good for you. Yeah, man, man. I'm real happy. But uh, just get some dumb TV credit, and then you know, just yeah. keep building. Good. 
Yeah. Actually, well, Sam Talent, man, it was a pleasure meeting you. I yeah, think I could talk all night. I just want to make no, sure. And we I get would down. keep you here all night too, but I, I know you've got a show here tonight. I'll be back. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow if you want. I don't know. We can talk yeah, more. Or yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, excellent. Well, thank thanks, you. Sam. Yeah. All right. So there you have it, stand-up comedian Sam Talent. My thanks to Sam for being on the show, and I definitely look forward to watching his career continue to blow up. I suspect 2016 is going to be a big year for him. Thank you to Eric and the fine folks at Looney's Comedy Corner for their continued support. And of course, thank you for listening to In the Springs. The In the Springs podcast is available on iTunes and Stitcher. You can also follow In the Springs on Twitter at RPL underscore Metajunk. Until next time, I'm Ryan Lowry, and we'll see you again right here in the Springs.